Hello, and welcome to Tag One Team Talks, the webinar series about emerging web technologies. Today's episode is about Goose, a powerful and fast new open source load testing framework written in Rust and inspired by Locust. I'm Preston So, and I'll be the host and moderator of today's episode of Tag One Team Talks. However, I do want to address one thing before we begin. Last week, as of this recording, last week, many of us saw and witnessed the awful incident that occurred in Minneapolis, and our hearts go out, obviously, not only from the Tag One community, but also from all of us on the call and all of our families to the Black brothers and sisters, our Black loved ones and family members who have been dealing with unbelievable grief and unbelievable pain during this past week. We at Tag One firmly believe that Black Lives Matter, and we support uh, the members of not only our Black community, but also everyone around the world who is struggling with injustice. And um, with that, let's go ahead and introduce, first of all, our guests. But before we get there, I'd just like to take a, a quick moment of silence for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and everyone else who has been impacted by police brutality and police violence against the Black American community. Thank you very much. Today, we're gonna to be talking about Goose, and I'm joined today by three of my dear friends here at Tag One. Uh, we're joined today by Jeremy Andrews, who's currently located in Italy. He's the CEO and founding partner of Tag One Consulting. We're also joined today by Fabian Franz, located in Switzerland, VP of Software Engineering at Tag One. And we're also joined today by Michael Myers in the Berkshires, Massachusetts, Managing Director of Tag One. And I'm located here in New York City, your Editor-in-Chief of Tag One Consulting. So stepping back for a moment here, um, out of curiosity, Michael, I mean, why is a load testing framework so important? And why is it something that Tag One is so interested in? It's a great question and a good place to start. Um, you know, uh, studies clearly prove that the speed of your site uh, impacts conversion rates, revenue, um, you know, any, any user action. Uh, and, and even milliseconds matter. Uh, Walmart showed that, you know, when they improved their site, uh, every 100 milliseconds, their revenue went up 1%. You know, Google sees abandonment of searches. You know, and, and at scale, as a business, you know, that has a material impact on revenue. You know, 1% incremental revenue, that's amazing. So, you know, the slow pages clearly impact your business and, and load testing tools help you figure out why your site isn't performing. You know, and often, you know, as a business, we get a lot of new clients for performance and scalability. And unfortunately, they typically come to us in an emergency situation. Their site's down, they're losing a lot of revenue and money. Forio, uh, a big Swedish beauty brand, multinational, with amazing growth. They went from three people to 3,000 employees, you know, very quickly and have built some amazing products. Their site went down during Black Friday, you know, a critical sales event for a company. And, you know, they called us up and we were able to scramble. Fabian, Jeremy did an amazing job, got them back online before Cyber Monday. And, you know, the site was faster than ever, you know, but it's a PR nightmare. They're losing a lot of money and it's really important to address performance proactively. You know, you want to avoid becoming a victim of your own success. And so we really encourage people to do that and make this part of their development process from the start. And that's another really important thing to mention. We're going to focus a lot about Goose as a technology and tool today, uh, but load testing is a process and it requires a, a scientific and thoughtful, you know, methodical methodology. 
And we've covered that a lot in, in conference talks and, and other blog posts. So I'm not gonna get into it too much here. We can post those links in the description, but you know, that's really important to mention. You, know, you need to be able to do things like test and simulate the same load over and over in a consistent and repeatable way to you know, get a good sense of how you're changing and tuning your infrastructure you know, and make you know, a change and then test, for example. You know, don't make lots of changes before you do the next round of testing. And so you know, think about the methodology when you're doing uh, load testing. And, and with that, you know, uh, let's, let's hop into Goose. Absolutely. I think that you know, load testing is a very, very important concern, especially among uh, tag one zone client base. And, you know, I'm very interested to hear about how Goose improves on a lot of the things that we saw in Locus. So uh, without further ado, Jeremy and Fabian, what exactly is Goose and how does it work? It's easier to understand Goose if you're already familiar with Locust, but essentially we took the same concepts that the, the Locust framework implements in Python and we re-implemented them in Rust, which is a significantly faster language. Um, so yeah, at, at, a, at a very high level, that's the difference. I think um, it's important to st uh, talk about the pain point that brought you to um, writing Goose in the first place. And it is um, if we wanted to test something, we always had to set up several virtual machines. We had to load um, for distribute load testing to even generate the load necessary. And then is um, whenever we were doing a load test in practice for one of those clients that Michael mentioned, we need to generate a lot of load because often we test the CDN. Often we um, test several things. So we need often to spin up at least four virtual machines just to be able to generate the load we need. And um, with uh, Locust, where we'll be talking a little bit more later about, and basically um, you have to start a manager process and then you start several worker processes. If you want to use CPUs more efficiently, you even have to start several worker processes on one thing. So um, that's very, very important in that. And that's a lot of effort for not much um, win because what, comes out in the end is that um, we always have to start up that VMs, but sometimes you just have a powerful Amazon instance, one VM or whatever, and you want to generate a lot of load and you don't want to start so many workers and manager, et cetera. And this is what Jeremy has solved. Well, it's worth noting that uh, Locust is written in Python and Python suffers from a global interpreter lock which is a mutex that, that wraps all of its memory, memory management because it's not thread safe. And what all that means is that Locust cannot use more than one CPU to generate load. Uh, the only way to do it is to spin up a distributed test like, like, he was, like uh, Fabian was talking about. Um, and so if you have a four core VM and you wanna use all of, that, all of those cores, you actually have to spin up five Locust processes, one manager and four workers. Uh, whereas with Goose, one of the things we've solved is there, there is no global interpreter lock. Uh, it, it just uses all the cores, uh, one process, and it, they're all generating uh, load at the same time. Yeah, and I think so now this makes it 11 times faster already. So this is amazing. Well, that's an addition, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> 11 times faster is not so much, it's got nothing to do with the cores. Um, on, top of, on top of all what we just talked about, Rust is a compiled language, and when you write 
the, the optimizations that it's able to put into the compiled binary make it 11 times faster for what we're doing um, than a comparable load test in, uh, in Locust. So on, on a single core? 11 times faster. Whereas if you have a four core, um, you, with, with a single four core VM, one instance of Goose, you can generate the same load as you can generate with a, a, a swarm of locusts of, of 44 locust workers. Yeah, so it's much, much, much faster. <laughs> and I think this is not only a testament to the kind of the, the, the multi-core strategy that, um, that is enabled by Goose, but also a testament to how, you know, Rust has really been uh, optimized for this kind of performance um, and scalability. Um, so exactly what led you to create Goose? I mean, one of the things that I think we, we've, we've seen very often is that, you know, there's a lot of load testing frameworks out there. Um, what led you to create Goose? Why add another one? What's the goal of Goose? And why, how is it different from the load testing frameworks in existence today? Without a doubt, we were solving the pain points we were running into using Locust. Uh, it's, it was our favorite load testing tool. It's a fantastic framework, um, but the things we've been talking about were what drove it initially uh, just to get that performance. Uh, on top of that, um, Rust has a different way of thinking about writing code. Uh, one of the advantages of Python is you can, you can write code really, really quickly, but the end result is you don't always think through the consequences of bugs and errors. Load te tests generate, they cause problems intentionally, and so oftentimes, your, your load test can actually have all these strange errors and um, it, it can be hard to debug them. Uh, Locust will spit out this big backtrace. You have to go back and figure out what exactly went wrong. When you're writing in Rust, um, it, the language itself, the compiler forces you to think through all possible code paths. And so it might take you slightly longer to write it the first time. Um, but the end result is if something goes wrong, you're expecting it and you can throw a friendly error. There's no ugly backtraces. Uh, it's much, much more friendly to work with. Um, so just basically, uh, basically there's, there's two things about it. First of all, we have to distinguish between systems languages that go C, C++ and Rust. And then we have to distinguish between normal languages like PHP, interpreted languages, JavaScript, Java to some extent. Those are basically just in time compiled or interpreted languages. Um, and obviously a language that is closer to the hardware is, is much, much more um, important in that. But what Jeremy failed to mention here is, is the large thing about Rust, which is completely fascinating. You can write safe C code. It forces you to write safe code. It's, it's, it's very, very hard unless you use the unsafe keyword to even write unsafe code in Rust. And that's amazing because it has huge security implications. Microsoft, Firefox, Mozilla, they all do statistics and memory errors, like dereference pointers, overflows, whatever. They're like 70% of security bugs. And, um, and with Rust, those just do not happen. Obviously for a raw testing framework, security is not the point, but the point is, if you make a mistake in your load test, then with Python, you find it during runtime. If you make a mistake in Rust for your load test, chances are high that if it's like um, not a logical error, um, but uh, something more um, complex, that you find it already at compile time. So you don't have to write your load test, run it, wait for an hour, 
the load test fails with some obscure error and you repeat this process over again, but you write your code, it fails immediately already during compilation. You fix it and you have a smooth running load test. So this is a real point. So not only is Rust a language that gives us lots of advantages for the framework, but also for the one writing the law test. And this is so freaking cool. It's also worth noting that it doesn't just benefit what we're writing. Uh, one of the advantages that you'll find with, with uh, Python is there's a huge history of uh, libraries that will help you writing your load tests. Um, some are buggy, some are not, uh, but they can definitely help you in, in writing it. Um, when working in Rust, there's also libraries. And what I've been finding is that even newer libraries tend to be less buggy because of exactly what Fabian's describing. Uh, the compiler helps you to write correct code. And so it makes working and, and pulling in different packages a joy to work with. I think one of the things that, you know, I think is um, tough for people to understand who are looking at load testing and, and, and examining why it's such an important facet of uh, performance and scalability, um, we just have to take a quick look at the kinds of clients, Fortune 100 companies that uh, Tag1 works with to perform load testing and ensure that um, these applications operate at scale. So just to take a quick kind of step back here to just kind of, you know, level set with the audience who's um, listening to this right now. Why is it that we need to generate so much load? Um, why is it that load testing is so important to, especially uh, those of us who are working with customers who really need that level of infrastructural soundness and stability? Yeah, so what we do as a, one of the, one of the many things we do as a company is we tune servers, uh, we optimize code, we make things run faster and we make them run more at scale. But what that means is they can handle larger and larger loads. So in order to simulate enough load, uh, we have to generate a very large load test. Uh, some of our clients um, are Fortune 500 companies. They, even their development infrastructures may have Akamai uh, CDNs in front of it. So you're massively distributing the load that you're putting on it and you just have to generate a lot of load to trigger the sorts of problems that you may be helping you know, track down in the first place. Um, that's, yeah, that, so that helps to, yeah, with all of this. Um, beyond that, we've also been using it to, um, one of the, actually the very first load test that, that Goose was used for was to work on a release of the Drupal memcache module. And uh, to make sure that the code is working, um, the load test tries to put stress on memcache. And so with Goose, it's much, much easier to, to actually see memcache become the bottleneck in your stack and to properly load test it. Yeah, and another point is uh, it's usually not used for it, but it can even be used for some kind of chaos testing. We recently wrote a log test um, where we were logging in as random users to ensure we have a realistic profile. And because we was logging in as random users and then doing some operations, uh, basically it led to some of those operations failing and throwing errors, which would never have been found else. Uh, so it can be used for some kind of um, random chaos testing as well. It's usually not used for that, but there was a nice side effect of being able to find some bugs <laughs> in that. So that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and the other thing is, as Jeremy said, if you want to test Akamai, you need to generate a huge load and we're talking about millions of requests per second. It's like, like whenever I look at those graphs and numbers, <laughs> when we do those load tests for the top 500 companies, it's like, what? <laughs> so much load, so much traffic. It, it's, 
we generate so much traffic that we need to give Akamai, which is really huge, a heads up that we're doing a law test now uh, so that they are aware that this is like legitimate law um, is coming here and not some distributed denial of service attack. In addition to generating load, it's not just that we're trying to create a lot of noise on the network, um, but we're generating valid traffic, which is a, a key point, and then verifying that what comes back is correct. It's checking headers, it's checking, you know, inspecting the, the text that's returned, um, something that Python gives you tools to do, but takes a long time and hard, it's hard to do at scale. Um, whereas the tools in Goose are what we're finding about 11 times faster. Yeah, and, and the other point about load tests in general is, for example, you have this problem, you need to ensure that your responses on the Akamai network are properly cached and you're not getting like the wrong headers or whatever like that. And when we want to do this correctness test, it would have been a long time to do that in the code alone and to ensure we have all the edge case, et cetera, especially the static files in the mix. Um, so what we basically did is we enhanced the load test to also do some correctness checking in that we have the correct cache headers that things are properly cached, et cetera. So that's, that's a nice thing. You can, can easily extend a load test to also be like a, like a little bit uh, testing framework, but not for, for testing things in that, but for testing performance characteristics, like is it fast? Is it having the right headers? Is it having a, a TTL that's long enough, et cetera? So there's lots of flexibility you can, can have here with the load testing tool besides generating load, obviously. Jeremy, if I remember correctly, one of the awesome things about Python are, are like libraries like Beautiful Soup, right? They make it super easy to run load tests. But as you scale up to get load, don't you need to remove those, like start switch to regular expressions to get even faster, which sort of negates some of the benefit? Um, and if so, I would imagine, you know, Rust has similar libraries to make it easier. Um, is the 11 times faster? Um, what is that comparison? Is, is Python running, you know, is Locust running beautiful soup? You know, are, are these stripped back? So as you do more things with a load test, um, Goose becomes drastically faster in comparison to Locust. So if, if we use beautiful soup um, to process the text and we use equivalent select library on, on Rust in, in uh, at Goose, um, it's, it's actually way, it, I think it, in the test I had, it was 30 times faster when, when you were using all the convenience fun functions that you want to use when you're writing load tests if you can. Um, stripping away beautiful soup and putting in regular expressions uh, was about a five times performance boost. And then when we stripped out the, uh, the standard client that uh, Logist uses to their fast client, we got a, a, another double in speed. Um, we saw similar improvements on the Goose side as we stripped out the library and we used their regular expressions. Um, we, we again got this speed boost. The one thing we've not tried yet on the Goose side to optimize is pulling out requests and using a, a more high performance client, such as Hyper. Um, and, and expectations are that we can see significant boosts further, um, but at some point convenience is worth it. And since we're already so fast and we can use all the cores, realistically, we're not gonna have to worry too much about adding drastically more performance to, to Goose. To specifically answer your question, the 11 time faster is both tests fully optimized.
we've heard a lot about sort of the um, advantages of uh, Goose over some of the other solutions out there. Um, and I know that, for example, Tag1 is a huge contributor to open source projects. Um, and as I understand it, Locust is open source. So I'm kind of curious, you know, why is it that Tag1 has gone in this direction to uh, open up and establish and pursue a new open source project rather than improving Locust? I imagine it has something to do with the language underlying Locust as well. Indeed. Um... Yeah, I mean, Locust is great and they continue to improve it. Uh, new, new release just came out with some new features and that's fantastic. The fundamental problem we're having is we can't scale up load enough um, without a lot of overhead. And so the fundamental problem is that Locust is written in Python. Um, Goose is intended to be incredibly similar, but written in Rust. Um, and that also is part of the inspiration is that I've been really intrigued by Rust for the past, I don't know, year or so. And, and Goose was the first project that was a perfect fit that matched both, you know, what we do at, uh, in our day job here, Tag1, uh, but also with just diving more into Rust. So it was a great excuse to do that. And absolutely, Goose has been open source from day one. Uh, you can go back and look at the, the original commits, which uh, it's come a long ways in the last, what, three months that it's been around. Yeah, for example, uh, Jeremy recently introduced async which was a huge hassle because async is still pretty uh, pretty young in Rust itself, uh, but it gave a two times a performance improvement. Uh, so it was uh, pretty cool in that um, that async. Um, there's also um, it, it's interesting if you go to languages like C plus plus or whatever. They're still lively. They still have changes, etc. But they don't have this. Explorer spirit, I call it, like like a new open source project, like Goose itself, West itself also is fairly young for a language, and they're like doing amazing academic work, etc. And you, in futures, uh, the design is I think from 2016 or something, and now in 2018 and 19 they finally got it into the um, into the language itself, and then the ASUN key work, etc. So it's amazing to not only see, like, like use something um, as open source, but also use some other open source that's still in development, basically. You run into insane bugs, you run into uh, strange things where you're like, why is it not working? And then you have to write micros or whatever. Um, um, but um, what I want to say with that is um, it's incredibly exciting to use Rust because it's something that's still being developed, they're still being made faster, more secure, and otherwise by their authors. And um, that's very different comparison, maybe comparis comparable for our audience, mostly Drupal-based, and when PHP 7 came out, and it was so much faster and so much different than, than everything that had been come before. It's, it's worth noting, um, going back to open source and talking about async, um, that was actually the first open source patch we got. Um, somebody in the community read, read a blog on our, on our website and contributed back. He said he was going to spend a half hour and just plunk it out while watching his, uh, his roommates play a game. And then he ended up spending four hours and, and, and it grew into like a couple weeks of effort. But it was fantastic. It was great, you know, meeting somebody new from the Rust community um, who just kept, kept working with us on it until we got it. To, uh, to a way that works really nicely that we're really happy with. So. I think Rust has definitely gained a lot of momentum, um, especially over the last year or so. Um, I think, you know, we see a lot of really amazing applications for Rust, not just 
in um, things like microservices, but also load testing tools. And it's really amazing to see uh, Goose uh, join that list. Um, it's been great to see yeah. the adoption of Rust continue to grow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Microsoft just recently announced um, that they now have a complete bindings for Rust for their um, standard Windows library in that. So they're a huge user of that. Uh, Firefox is trying to write a whole browser core in Rust. It's still experimental, but they're making great progress in that. And um, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see. <laughs> if someone wants to look at something fascinating, Rust is definitely, it, it has a steep learning curve for, for several things because you need to know about threads, et cetera. But if you look at it, it's just great. For anyone who's looking for a good primer to uh, the Rust language, I highly recommend my uh, friend, actually here in New York, um, Steve Klabnik's book, uh, The Rust Programming Language by No Starch Press. Amazing, amazing guide to Rust. I haven't really made much of a dent in it, but it's an amazing title for those of you looking for more information about Rust. Um, so uh, Goose is, you know, obviously uh, a very new and, and up and coming open source project, still in its infancy, obviously, and, and, and we'll be doing a lot here at Tag One, of course, to uh, showcase uh, the benefits of Goose and, and uh, introduce it to the wider open source community. But, you know, one of the things that I think uh, is, is very important, especially in the context of these open source ecosystems is, how can people help? What, what can some people in the community do uh, in the Rust world or, for example, in, in, in the worlds that we play in, in Drupal, PHP, and the web space? Um, how can people help out with Rust? Uh, maybe not just actually contributing Rust code, but what are some other things that people can do to get involved in uh, helping out with Goose? Yeah, there's a lot that can be done. Um, just using it, just trying it out uh, is the first thing. And then providing feedback, uh, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, requests to say, hey, this is great, but we would like, you know, if you could fix this or add this feature, uh, reporting bugs, if you run into bugs, all, all of those types of things um, are, are huge in the open source community. Um, pull requests with code changes are always welcome, of course, but they're, they're in no way required. Um, currently, Goose has decent documentation. Um, it's, it's got uh, some auto-generated documentation that's built into the code. Um, and the GitHub page has a you know, basic tutorial, but what would be fantastic is seeing more Rust style, like a, a Goose book. Um, and that's something that you know, somebody actually using it could, could start working and contributing on. That would be fantastic. Um, especially if you start adding recipes and you know, little tips and tricks and things that you've done in your own load tests. Um, kind of in the similar vein, it currently only has two examples, a very, very simple one, and then the load test that we use for the Drupal Memcache module. Um, if people wanted to contribute more load tests, uh, they're pretty easy to, uh, to write, and you could bring in different you know, third-party libraries, give examples of setting uh, cookies or doing whatever fancy things that, that is unique to, to your environment. Um, that'd be helpful to everybody. Um, and personally, what I'm waiting for is when, so, when other people start talking about it. Uh, I'll look forward to when somebody else writes a, a blog about it or I see a tutorial pop up somewhere. That's when I'll be happy with the, its success. Yeah, also um, Jeremy has lots of um, issues tagged with good first issue, which uh, GitHub encourages you to do um, so that people that want to contribute, that want to dive into open source. Maybe there are some people out there that are just learning Rust and they just want to dip their toes in a, in a project the best way to learn is really to just take something and dive right in, try to solve a problem, 
banger had around for a few hours or maybe not and uh, really really dive into it create a little patch and it gives you so much more understanding or, or something than just reading a book learning writing hello world um, doing that for me the best way to learn is to contribute patches or review patches on open source projects it's it, there's no faster way it's like the fast track to being a rock star absolutely it's really really good to contribute to a project that fabian's involved with because he's an amazing reviewer um, he catches little details that he didn't think mattered um, he leaves comments that makes it clear that he's really reading through understanding every little bit uh, he's fantastic I can definitely uh, corroborate that. Fabian's an incredible, uh, uh, you know, an, an, an incredible asset to have as a code reviewer and, of course, as a, as a wonderful engineer. And I, and I definitely hope that as uh, a lot of us in the Tag1 community are, are, are learning about Rust, and I do have to make a quick correction, um, that book that I named earlier is actually written by two people, Steve Plavnik and Carol Nichols. Didn't want to leave off that uh, second author. And um, uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of folks learning Rust, getting involved in the Goose community, getting involved in contribution, opening uh, uh, new issues, and of course, um, offering their insights as well uh, from their ample knowledge. So with that, I wanted to dive a little bit into the kind of vision ahead for Goose. Um, what exactly is going to be coming in the next couple of months? I mean, I know that right now we're still in early stages. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned you want to have more people writing about Goose. I definitely want to look at doing that on my blog and thinking about some of the ways that people outside of, uh, uh, you know, sort of the, the Rust and PHP communities can really benefit from this. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of folks are also looking at uh, Goose as a potential amazing future-ready, future-proof tool that can not only improve the way that we do load tests today, but also map out how load tests will be run in the future. Um, so what's the roadmap for Goose look like? Um, we're still reviewing its uh, performance right now. Um, as fast as it is, um, our, our adoption of async is pretty new, so we're making sure that we're leveraging it everywhere we can and where it makes sense. Uh, but beyond performance, um, one thing, currently it does spit out incredibly useful running statistics and also at the very end it gives you a summary of all the requests that it made, um, you know, how long each one took, uh, average time, uh, th those sorts of statistics. Um, what I, what we, we were going to add is also the ability to log every single request, be it to a, a local CSV log file or remotely to a, a you know, graphing system server or something so that you can actually get some real-time graphing. Um, Beyond that, um, it, it currently is, is using the requests, the Rust request library, um, and it's great. It's very easy to use, but there's quite a few others out there. And so the intent is to try to abstract it a little bit so that you can swap out whichever client you prefer. Uh, in some cases, that may give you better performance. In some cases, it may just give you the features you need, or it may just be that you're more comfortable with another client, so why not be able to use it? Um, Beyond HTTP and HTTPS, we also want to start adding support for other protocols as well. Um, there's a request from the community already to uh, add support for gRPC, for example. Um, also, uh, Rust has native support for uh, WebAssembly, and so it's Goose is screaming for a simple uh, UI, and certainly we will leverage you know, the latest and greatest. We'll use WebAssembly and, uh, so you can control the load tests and view statistics in real time. Um, and beyond that, uh, we recently added uh, Gaggle support. 
so that uh, you know we can do distributed load tests. And so we'll probably explore ways to further simplify spinning up gaggles. At this point, the largest gaggle we've ran was one manager and 100 workers, which can create an, just an absurd amount of traffic. So it's, it's working well, but there's lots more improvements we can make there. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to, to ask, which is, you know, something that uh, I think a lot of us are interested in from the standpoint of how exactly, you know, Goose will be supported in kind of the long run is what's, what's Tag One's plan around Goose? Is there any plan to offer uh, services or a plan to offer anything surrounding the Goose ecosystem from the standpoint of Tag One? We've talked about it. Um, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Um, at minimum, it makes our job better to be able to use Goose to, to create load tests. And so certainly our clients are going to start seeing it more and more. Um, whether or not you know, we expand beyond that is, is yet to be seen, but we hope to. Michael, for one, is really excited about it, in fact. <laughs> it's, I, I really love Goose. Uh, I love the name, the homage to Locust. Uh, I appreciate you making the goose attack <laughs> and the command to run it. I, I lobbied hard for that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's clearly something that, that, that we as a company and, and you are passionate about. And uh, it's uh, fun to work on. Well, I'm very excited to see uh, a huge community around goose start to develop and especially a lot of people start to honk in support of uh, good load testing. Uh, alrighty. And with that, um, obviously, of course, we'll be doing a lot more uh, content coming up about Goose, and we'll be sharing more about this exciting project and this exciting ecosystem around uh, uh, one of the fastest and most impressive load testing tools that's currently out there. Um, and now for something a little different. Uh, we have this thing called the aside tag here at Tag One Team Talks, where we go into a little bit of what's going on in our real lives. Um, so I want to take just a few minutes to allow for each of us to share a little bit about what's going on with the audience um, that doesn't have to do with Goose. Uh, why don't we start with you, Fabian? Sure. Um, I'll be keeping in Rust land uh, because while researching Rust for, for Goose a little bit, I came across something really cool, and that's a PHP RS, um, with which you can write full PHP extensions in Rust. And that would be pretty cool. And I plan to be doing, no idea when, but still planning it, <laughs> and to be doing a little xhprof shim, which will be calling tightways xhprof. And that's so important for me because currently, if you use PHP 7, there's a huge confusion of which xhprof, which is our profiling tool we use for PHP, and we use in combination with law testing for performance optimization, um, you use. Which one should you use? Um, there's one official on Pickle, it's based on the old Facebook, and there's this rewrite by Tateways, but you have to always write Tateways xhprof enable, so people are not using it, but I reviewed the code of both extensions, the C code, and the tightways xhprof is not using PHP data structures to store the things, so it has way less function overhead. It's definitely the better extension, and I hope with that little Rust PHP bridge thingy, I can just provide people that have xhprof tools to just use them, continue to use them as tightways, and just build this little bridge. So that's what I'm excited about. Wonderful. That's really exciting. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? Yeah, uh, my family and I moved to Tuscany, I don't know, five years ago, I guess. And one of 
the things about Tuscany that is appealing is the you know the romance of uh, vineyards and vine, you know, grapes and wine, um, and so I've started planting some vines in my backyard, um, and it's been just fantastic. Uh, learning what the different vines look like. Um, they're, they're now, you know, growing. And so I have to learn things like green pruning, um, you know, when to prune and how to prune and training them, you know, which how they're supposed to grow for the optimal uh, to get the, get the best sun, um, whether you should water them, when you should water them, uh, spraying them to avoid funguses. There's, there's just so much to it. Um, and, and hopefully at some point, um, I will also have the pleasure of of drinking uh, my own, but for now I'm just sampling the the locals and uh, you know figuring out what I can strive for. That's amazing, and uh, I'm very uh, you know you know Jeremy, I'm very jealous to see you having that sip of wine because uh, it's it's barely uh, 8:50 a.m. here in New York City. Uh, all right, what about you, Michael? <laughs> What's going on in your world? Uh, well, I'm eagerly awaiting my first bottle of <laughs> Jeremy's vintage, <laughs> so I'm excited to hear about his his work on the on, on the vineyards. That's that's super cool. Um, I've talked a lot about uh, cooking uh, in in our segments here. It's one of the things that I've had an opportunity to do a lot more of lately, and I'm really excited about it. You know, I've learned a lot of skills. Um, one of the things that I love, and I think a lot of people love, are French fries. And uh, I also make like little chips uh, and, you know, they were good, but they were just never like as crispy as I wanted them, or at least uniformly crispy. And uh, it turns out that, uh, the, you know, the getting them more crispy uh, took three things. Uh, one was soaking them in water to remove the starch uh, and sort of replacing that water and letting them sit there for a while, you know, an hour or two at least. Um, and then I, you know, I, I put them on a baking sheet and, and so there isn't like a huge mess, you know, cause they're covered in, you know, an olive oil or something. I, I, you know, I used to put foil down, uh, but apparently parchment paper is a much better approach. It helps, you know, with the crispiness. And, and lastly, the second, or third, the third thing was two temperature baking. Uh, so you do it like 350 for, you know, 10, 15 minutes to get them nice and soft. And then you jack it up. Uh, to 425 plus and, you know, kind of keep an eye on them at that point. <laughs> you don't want too crispy. Uh, and then, you know, you bake them for another, you know, 10 minutes or so at that high temperature. And, and, and the trifecta, you know, you know, uh, they're, st they're not all 100% crispy, but they're definitely better. And so I'm excited to iterate on my, my fries. And if there are any tips uh, out there to how to make them even better. Um, of course, frying them would be amazing, but uh, <laughs> uh, any tips to make better fries and chips? Uh, They're really good with red wine. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect pairing. And a burger or something. Uh, and it's summertime now. So uh, yeah, please email me, m, letter M at tagoneconsulting.com. I, I, you know, send your baking tips and cooking ideas, recipes. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'd love it. All I know is whatever kind of fry it is, Old Bay just makes it better. Um, <laughs> and out of curiosity, you know, you know, I've never done this before, but I'm, you know, really curious to hear what's everyone's favorite cut of fry? Is it steak for? Is it you know steak fries? Is it curly fries? Is it you know? I forget what you call the McDonald's cut of fries, but um, I definitely like steak fries myself. But I know that that's not something everyone else shares. I lean towards chips, you know, like really thin, you know, slicing the potato in, into, into round circles because they, they get really crispy when they're thin. Um, 
but I would say McDonald's style fries, you know, like the thin for the same reason, you know, more crisp, uh, you know, more surface area ratio per fry for crisp. How about you, Jeremy and Fabian? What are your preferences? I, I personally, when I make fries these days, I actually cut them into pretty small uh, pieces. And the reason is we have two toddlers. Um, and I try to make something that especially my son won't choke on. Yeah, and for me, also just a McDonald's style fries, like very, um, so they're very crispy. I love it. All right, and now it's my turn. Um, I do want to go ahead and devote my aside tag today to Black Lives Matter and to making sure that um, we do our part to uh, tear down a lot of the institutional racism and structures that we have in our country. One of the things that I would like to encourage all of us to do on the Tag One Team Talks community is please find organizations that could use your donations, whether that's the NAACP, whether that's Black Visions Collective, uh, Fair Fight Action, or any of the bail funds that are currently operating. I also want to highlight the fact that it's, it's a really uh, amazing thing uh, to work at an organization like Tag One that is focused on upholding democracy and social justice. Um, one of the organizations that Tag One works with, in fact, is an organization that I highly recommend our community contribute to, and that is the American Civil Liberties Union, as well as, of course, the Network for Good, both organizations that are doing amazing things um, for uh, a social justice in this country and civil rights. Um, alrighty. Well, with that, um, I did want to go ahead and say that Goose is out there ready for the downloading, ready for the dependency declarating. Uh, all the links that we mentioned today are posted online with the talk. If you're interested in looking at Goose, if you're interested in any of the things that we mentioned around Goose today. And all, uh, as always, if you're really um, appreciating this talk today, if you really enjoyed hearing about Goose and some of the benefits that uh, a Rust-driven uh, load testing tool has over a lot of the alternatives out there, please feel free to upvote, subscribe, share this talk with those of, of your uh, uh, friends and family who are interested in Rust as well as load testing. And check out past talks at tag1.com slash tagteamtalks. If you want to hear about a particular topic or a particular subject, please reach out to us at tagteamtalks at tag1consulting.com. I want to thank my dear friends and colleagues today, Jeremy Andrews, Fabian Franz, and Michael Myers, all of us here at Tag1. Really appreciate you joining us today. And until next time.